0: As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, Um, Man, thank you for the way that you love one another. I could not be more excited about fellowship in the nations, it's something that is an answer to prayer, just to see um, what God is doing in our midst, and so it's very encouraging, Um, Hebrews chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. And this morning's passage can be found on page 1007. And so we are going to continue our discipleship series. And I I don't think we could look at the topic of discipleship and not include the aspect of faith and what that looks like on an everyday level for us. Um, Faith is... Pretty much a junk drawer kind of word, you know. Uh, If you're a guy, you probably have a junk drawer where you Dump off your keys and your wallet, and like it just becomes this morass of things, and you really it does you very little good. Well, um, faith is a junk drawer word, and it ends up meaning um, a lot of different things to a lot of people. I mean, you find it on a greeting card somewhere, or something that you might find at Heaven and Earth bookstore. Um, but it very little, like in a, in a very small way, does it play a part of our everyday lives? Do we? cultivate the idea of faith and um, I think we do that to our spiritual poverty. Um, Dallas Willard um, says this, he says, it's frankly hard today to think adequately of God or perhaps to think of him at all. Our intellectual history works against it And we certainly do not get much training for it. Frankly, our daily experience under pressure from many quarters constantly keeps us from thoughtful living and dumbs us down in many ways, especially theologically. But the result the resulting lack of adequate ideas and terminology does great harm to our faith. It insulates our real life from what we say we believe. We cannot even by a miracle believe a blank or a blur, and he's talking about our view of God, much less act on it. To trust God, we need a rich and accurate way of thinking and speaking about Him to guide and support our life vision and our will. So what he's saying is our spiritual poverty results from us Thinking about God in the abstract, for him to be a blur, for him to be a concept or an idea, and for us to be able to really grow and for our faith to be able to thrive and to have rich and accurate lives that reflect who God is, we have to think very deeply and speak rightly about who God is. And Hebrews chapter 11 is going to help us to do that. Faith is at the very center of discipleship. If you even just read a cursory way the New Testament, faith stands at the center. We walk by faith. We are justified or declared righteous by faith, right? We... Everything that Jesus taught and everything that Jesus did was about cultivating faith in his disciples away from themselves and allowing them to live their lives in light of who he was and what he came to do. It's rightly being able to, sin, um, to see the world. And what we see from the life and the ministry of Jesus is faith flourished in unlikely places. The people that should have been strong in faith. The people that were rich in the scriptures. They oftentimes missed who Jesus was, but it was the people that were in deep need. The people that were on their last leg. Those are the people that grew rich in faith. Now, I know I've been gone for a couple of weeks, but I was not immune to the controversy that is surrounding the movie The Shack, right? I mean, you couldn't... um, You couldn't be on Twitter and not see that there's kind of a war between people um, that love and are blessed by the movie and the book, and then there's this other camp where they are critiquing the movie and the book. Are you aware of what I'm talking about, right? Everybody on social media can see that. Um, I'm not here um, to say one way or the other whether you should watch the movie or read the book, Um, but... I am an observer of culture, and so when things rise to the level where people begin to dispute and debate and fight over certain things, I want to understand why, right? And the thing that I think that it's really easy to miss um, as church people who want to defend doctrine and truth and protect people from error, which is a, a good and a right thing, is you can miss... Why does this book and why does this film connect so deeply with people? And it's because it tries to make sense out of suffering. Because it tries to say that God is not absent in the midst of your pain, right? Um, I came across this um, blog post this week, and it's by a woman named Kimberly Lira. And she said goodbye to her husband, um, who died at a very young age of cancer on Um, Valentine's Day, and she wrote a blog post, I think that's very much in line with what we're going to talk about today, why the church does not need any more coffee bars. She says, this is kind of the culmination of her argument, it says, the lighting, coffee bars, relevant messages, graphics, and other things are secondary and serve no assistance to me during the darkest hours of my life. This is in no way a criticism of churches that have coffee bars, nice lighting, catchy sermon titles. However, in everything that is done, we need to make sure that Jesus is at the center. It's also a reminder that there are hurting people sitting in your congregation. There are people whose marriages are crumbling, people whose Finances are deteriorating, people whose children are rebelling, and people like me, whose husband passed away after a brutal fight with cancer. And these people are not impressed with the stage lighting. They could care less about the coffee flavor. They don't need to be pumped or hyped. They need and are desperate for Jesus. And they may actually be turned off by all that they consider gimmicks to get people to go to church. I scroll down my social media feed, I see churches with pictures of their coffee bars and their concert-like settings, their graphics, their Trinity Sermon series, and they don't appeal to me. I want to see how Jesus has changed a person's life. I want to see the power of prayer. I want to see how the Word of God can be applied to one's life. I want to see how Jesus can help the hurting. I want to see how Jesus can heal the sick. I want to see how the brokenhearted are restored. I want to see how mourners were comforted. I want to see how lives were restored. Rather than posting pictures of coffee bars, I would rather see testimonies of the power of God. And I don't say that to critique anything other than there are people that are desperate to experience the power and the presence of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we go just a little bit below the surface, we're all desperate to encounter that kind of love, that kind of healing, that kind of mercy. In everything that we do, everything that God promises to us, everything that God delivers to us, it says in the book of Ephesians that we right now possess every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's who we are as the people of God. But all of those promises come to us and they are realized by faith, right? So for us in our journey of discipleship, in our journey to point people towards the only hope that exists in the universe, Jesus, we have to learn what does it mean to be people of faith? What does it mean to connect people in the moments of their deepest sorrow to Jesus. Because, honestly, that's who the book of Hebrews is written to. It's not written to people that have it all together. It's written to people like Kimberly Lyra, who have lost everything. Jesus, and His word to the church, through the book of Hebrews, comes to people who not are not at their best, but are at the bottom. And He teaches us some very important lessons about faith. And so, um, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the first six verses. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. He should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, so much we want to connect with your transcendence and your power. We want to encounter your mercy and your nearness. We want discipleship not to be an effort of self-salvation and changing ourselves, but we want to connect ourselves to the resources that you've given us in and through Jesus. So I pray that the result of hearing this word today, as a result of you speaking to us through this word and to our hearts, um, that you would cultivate faith in our lives. I pray that you would help us to persevere. I pray that you would help us to grow into people that help others persevere in the darkest nights of their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at faith and discipleship, this is very closely tied to our doctrine of God. What we believe about God and the clearer and the more accurate that is. And really in relation to the book of Hebrews, the more accurate we understand who Jesus is. As we see him rightly, the result is that we experience faith and our faith grows. One of the things that encourages me the most, and I think this is the thing that encourages me the most, is consistently I hear from people that this is a safe place, that this is a place where good news um, is proclaimed, good news is lived out, it's a safe place for people to not be okay, it's a safe place for people to be in process, it's a safe place for people to struggle. Um... And I never want to see that change. And I think that's the fruit of the gospel. But I have this slight concern. There is a way to process brokenness and grief and shame that can lead us just to focusing on ourselves. Right? We can just focus in on our problems, our lack, our need, which is very real. So for us to grow in maturity as a church... It doesn't mean denying our neediness, but simultaneously affirming God's ability and His desire to meet us at our point of need. So we want to be those people that are desperate for God to work, but also um, confident in faith that God is going to work and He's going to act on our behalf. That's what it means for us to grow in maturity. So I want to talk about a few ways to cultivate faith this morning. First, we're going to talk a little bit about some misconceptions about faith Then we're going to talk about what faith actually is and then some ways that we can cultivate faith in our own lives. So first, some common misconceptions of faith. First is that faith is just automatic, right? This is um, your right as a southern-born Christian person that faith is um, somehow static rather than dynamic. Um, It's kind of like my teenager that sits in third period English class. I mean, you're just there, right? It it doesn't have any real connection to the rest of your life, right? Faith is just this thing that we inherit. So we believe or we say a prayer and we ask Jesus to come in our heart. But faith from that point on makes no difference in our life. Faith is automatic. It's kind of like, so who's watching March Madness right now, right? right. Good, Good job and for the rest of you, tune in this afternoon, 5:10. You're going to see the greatest upset in the history of college basketball. All right? making sure we're paying attention. All right? So But really, like faith is, is a, in a lot of ways, for many of us, is how we relate to the first four. you know? I mean, it's kind of interesting. Kind of gets your juices going, but it has no real bearing on the rest of March Madness, right? I mean, it's just a way to get you involved in the tournament a little bit earlier. So, we can believe that faith is automatic. Another misconception is that faith is uh, a naive form of wishful thinking, right? This is, now, I used to watch Saturday Night Live in the 80s, I hear this, in the Dana Carvey church lady voice. <laughs> I'm not going to do it for you. But I know. <laughs> no. Even though it's spring break. Um, but you just have to have faith. Right? I mean, it's like, it's almost like that's our last option. Um, When everything else has failed us, whether it's our wisdom, our knowledge, our experience, our resources. And then it's like this grasping of naive, optimistic people in spite of all that we see. And and I want you to look at verse 1 because I think this is important. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is about the things that you don't see rather than you see. Faith is about making the unseen realities of God and His kingdom come to bear on our lives. Faith is seeing things rightly. Faith is not denying reality. Faith is acknowledging a greater reality. Because the, the greatest limitation to everything that we experience in this life is the things that we think we see The things that we think we know, the wisdom that we think we've acquired, and we put God in a little box and we think that this is how he always acts or he refuses to act. But what faith is, is saying, I'm going to bring my circumstances, I'm going to bring the things that I'm experiencing, I'm going to bring them under the truth of the reality of who God is. Faith is the only way to rightly see the world because faith looks to the unseen, which is God. Who loves us and gave himself up for us. The last misconception I want to address. Is faith is not feelings. Right? This is a big one. This is where I struggled the most. Faith is not feelings. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is not boldness. That's something else. Faith is a lot of different things in a lot of different situations. So in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews, faith is rest. Faith is ceasing from activity. Ceasing from striving. Ce- ceasing from trying to improve yourself or better yourself and resting in what God says about you. Faith is rest. In other places in the Scripture, in the Psalms, faith is Running to God for refuge when you don't have anything to offer. Like faith is casting all of your cares, all of your anxieties, all of your fears on Him. Look at verses eight and nine. It gives the example of Abraham. And I think this will apply to where a lot of people are or where you will be soon. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So faith is going and not knowing. Right? Faith is obeying God, trusting God, walking out who he is in the course of your everyday life, even when you can't see where you're going. So faith um, is not our feelings. Faith um, is holistic. It's aligning our minds, thinking rightly about God. It's aligning our wills, the way that we act and follow out and obey God. It is our emotions, which sometimes seem like they are uncontrollable. It's trying to bring all of those things um, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, who conquered sin, death, and the grave. Like That should make a difference, how we live out life each and every day. So faith, right? so we're starting to work towards a definition of faith. Faith is holistic, mind, will, and emotions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, they give us a very clear, the writer of Hebrews, and actually I think Hebrews is a sermon, by the way. Um, it's beautiful. Hebrews 11, let's look at verses 1 and 2, and we're going to look at verse 6. This is defining faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old receive their commendation. Verse 6, And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that seek him. So, this is what amazes me right in a world of uncertainty with the uncertainty and fickleness of our own hearts god actually wants us to grow in confidence he actually wants us to grow in assurance he wants us to grow in conviction about who he is despite what we see like he wants us to know his goodness he wants us to know his power now verse 6 says without faith it is impossible to please him i want to i want to clarify this because we are gospel loving people pleasing god is not meritorious right this isn't something that adds favor to your life it's it's kind of like when i catch my kids doing something right you know like i kind of catch a little smile i mean there's so often times where I hear them in the other room and they're bickering and they're fighting and they're not handling things the way that I would want them to do. But on the rare occasion, right, when the things that I have said and how I've instructed them and I hear them loving one another or encouraging one another, like this smile breaks out on my face. It pleases me, right? doesn't mean that I love them anymore, but it's like, that's what I'm talking about, Right? And so this is is my concern for everyone in the room. I think there are people in this room that feel like they're failing when they're actually winning, right? I think that God is cultivating faith in us all in different ways. And He's pleased with us, not because our faith merits anything, but because of Jesus. But He does love and He commends faith. And this is what's beautiful. So, this is what blows me away. Look at verses 32 and 33. It says, this is the gospel, that God celebrates faith despite our failures. Verses 32 and 33. And what more shall I, what, what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions so depending on how familiar you are with your bible that list may seem intimidating to you but if you read the book of judges Gideon Barak Jephthah Samson, you read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, read the story of David, their stories are anything but something to celebrate. Yet God chooses through very flawed individuals to say, I'm going to commend your faith. Gideon, right? So you read the book of Judges. I I would encourage you to do that. Just read through the book of Judges really quick this week. Not the whole thing. But look at Gideon's story. He's fearful. God decides to deliver through him anyway. And then over time, he becomes this proud, pompous leader that leads the people of God into idolatry. Yet he's commended for his faith. Samson, who has this Nazarite vow that he's going to do all these things and he's going to keep himself pure, breaks every conceivable commandment of God throughout his story, yet God uses him anyway. And what does God do in the book of Hebrews? He commends the faith of people that are deeply flawed. And so, what this Tells us and what this teaches us, because to the Hebrews, they would have known these stories like the back of their hand. I can't believe that God celebrates the faith of Gideon. I can't believe that he's commending the faith of Jephthah. Read the story of Jephthah, it's just sketchy and scary, right? Um, so, faith is not about us or our morality. God's ability to save us and deliver us is not about us. And what I think God would want to say to so many in this room is that when your faith story is told, God is going to commend your faith because it's His work inside of you. It's not going to be a recounting of your failures or when you didn't believe, but it's going to be a celebration of His gracious activity because that's the kind of God that we serve. So God celebrates our faith despite our failures. That's amazing grace. That's meant to make us bold like lions. Faith is also rooted in the character and the nature of God. Look at verse 6. It says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those that seek Him. So this is beginning to say, how does God cultivate perseverance in His people? It's rooted and grounded in His character and His nature. That God is not a withholding God. He's not stingy. He's not some cruel puppet master trying to control your life and bring you into unforeseen circumstances. He is a God who rewards the faith of his people? He is a rewarder. And this is where we have to, I mean, clarify because we live in the United States where that's the only place that they could come up with a theology where if you have enough faith, you could get a new Mercedes S. S series, right? I mean, the nature of the reward is not that you get a bunch of stuff somewhere. The nature of reward is that you actually get God. So God is a rewarder, so you get more of Him. You get more of His mercy and more of His grace. It's not that those things aren't there, but when you believe by faith and you cast all of the weight of who you are on who He is, you get God. That's the nature of the reward. And so as we trust Him and as we live our lives For Him and He works in us, we get to experience more and more of His grace. The same thing. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. Sarah considered Him faithful. This is the wife of Abraham. She was barren. She could not conceive children. By faith, Sarah Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered Him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So that's a good definition of faith. She considered him faithful. So where this morning do you need to consider him faithful? Right? Where are you more aware of your lack of resources where are you more aware of your need god would invite us to consider him faithful faith locks on to its object faith we're always believing something we're either trusting in ourselves our own experiences or we're trusting the god of the bible Faith means that we believe that he exists and he exists as he says that he is. Faith is not as concerned about itself. Like faith goes away when you begin to examine the quality of your faith, right? So so many of us can say, I think I believe, um, but I don't believe enough, right? Like faith is this thing that we kind of like in science class, it's in a pastry dish that you're kind of looking around trying to figure out how it's there, Tim Keller says this, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you, right? So faith is about locking on to the object of faith, right? So we can, you can wrongly apply faith by just being concerned about your faith, but faith is concerned about the object of our faith. Several years ago, I read this book called Scandalous by D.A. Carson, and it's a it's a wonderful read, and he kind of uses this illustration. He says, imagine that you are an Israelite. Imagine it's the time of the Exodus. So you are in Egypt. You, are, you have been a captive people. You have witnessed miracles by God. There have been flies. There have been um, the Nile turned to blood. There have been frogs. Almost all of those things beside the Nile thing happens in Jonesboro during the summer, by the way. <laughs> That's what I found out when I moved here. That's what I thought. That's the side. Um, but imagine, you're, you're there, and then there's this final command by God that you're supposed to kill a lamb, and you're supposed to put the blood on the doorpost of your house. And imagine there's two neighbors and their families. One of them fully trusts God, They are huddled in their living room, knowing confidently that the angel of death is going to pass them by. Now, imagine that there's another family. They have the blood on their doorposts, and they are scared to death. They hear the angel of death moving throughout the city. They hear people weeping and wailing. And they are just trying to hold on, saying, is it going to come for us? And to their dismay and to their surprise, the angel of death passes them by. Why? Because it was about the blood that was on the doorposts of their lives. right? It wasn't about the quality of their faith. It's because they placed their faith in the Lamb. right? And so for us, that means Jesus. It doesn't mean that we have to have perfect faith. But when we place our faith in the object of our faith, Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us, It gives us confidence and it begins to give us assurance. And that's the point of Hebrews chapter 11. That we have this rich inheritance through Jesus. And that's why I don't ever want us to move on from our passion to see Jesus lifted up. Because it's so easy to make it about us. And what we need to do and how... We need to believe more and trust more and do more. He is worthy of our deepest trust. But there's going to be moments where you think, just like in Hebrews chapter 11, that armies are going to be put to flight. And there's going to be moments where you don't want to get out of bed and face the day. He's equally faithful to his people in both of those scenarios. So how do we cultivate faith? do this quickly. First, faith looks back. Look at the end of chapter 10. Going to look at verse 32. Faith looks back. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you have For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since that you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So, the writer or the preacher of Hebrews says, I want you... Not to focus primarily on what you're going through right now. I want you to remember the faithfulness of God. I want you to remember your struggle with hardships. And I want you to remember how faithful God has been to you in those moments. So how do we practically as a church, how do we as individuals cultivate faith? We look back at our darkest moments and we see that God is there. There's so much suffering in this room that I cannot identify with. But what God produces in those moments is beautiful, and it's lasting. And I think the biggest lie of the world, especially in the church world, is that if you follow Jesus that you won't have any more problems. It's just simply not true. But what God promises to do is in the midst of a broken world that He's making new is to produce something beautiful and lasting inside of us that shows the world that Jesus is our treasure. I mean, that's there's not a lot of answers besides it's a fallen world for suffering. But what He does choose to do in those moments is show His value and His worth. So I want you to think back. Like if you are struggling for faith here this morning. I want you to think back to just how faithful he's been. It's what we were singing about this morning. It's what the, the hymn amazing grace through many trials, toils, and snares I have already come. Right? This there is something that spurs our faith on when you look. And so many of us there were moments in your life where you weren't looking for God at all. Like when you were indifferent. But now there's this desire to honor Him and to please Him. So, not only that, but God has used you in the life of other people. I mean, think back to the many ways that God has worked in you, but also the the times that God's worked through you. That cultivates faith. But also, faith looks forward. and. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if this life is all that there is, Christians are most of all to be pitied. Right? So faith also looks forward. Look at chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 8, 9, and 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. As he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God." So the way to go and not know, the way to persevere is to know that we're living not for this city, but for the city to come. The way that we can pursue renewal in places like Haiti or Jonesboro where there's real brokenness that exists is because we're not laboring primarily for this we're laboring for a time that's to come we're laboring for that city that there is going to be a day when everything that's wrong is going to be made right where justice is going to come where mercy is going to be fully received where sin is going to be finally swallowed up that helps us in the daily struggle to realize that it's not always going to be this way that there's going to be time that's in the near future and it's growing nearer for every person in this room every second where you won't have a struggle with sin anymore. I mean, that's an amazing promise that you won't have to wake up and, and battle yourself every single day. And that's the hope that we have to offer a city, is that there is a a city that's to come whose designer and maker is God. So I, I think that this can apply in a couple of ways. One is, where do you need perseverance? Like, where have you grown weary? Where is the thing that you battle that you are tempted to throw in the towel? I think God would invite you to look at Hebrews chapter 11, to look back at his faithfulness and to look forward. But then there's other people in this room. I think that God, you know that he's calling you to risk. You know that he's calling you to step out. That God would invite you to also, in light of who he is and what he's done, to step out and to step forward because he is faithful even when we're faithless. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our everything. Even when we don't realize that, what we have. I pray that you would, as a result of today, that you would cultivate faith in our hearts. I pray that you would do real ministry for those that are afraid. I pray that you would do real ministry for those that are brokenhearted. I pray that you would do real ministry for those that know that you're calling them to take greater steps of faith and risk, and that all of those things would be seen in light of the sacrifice of your Son who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Where you're already at work. Please help us to understand that we don't have to twist your arm to move, but that you actually are moving, that you actually are causing fruit to be born in our lives and around the world. We take just a moment to pray for our brothers and sisters in Nepal. Um, Thank you for this privilege of this trip, but I pray that you would just begin to cement in our hearts as a local church um, what it would look like to come alongside this nation, What it would look like for us to invest in seeing unreached people groups reached for your namesake. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you for your power that's on display. Um, I pray that you would help us rightly view our position in the world. I pray that you would help us to be learners first as we go into other contexts. That we would not arrive as we're the saviors from the West, that we would come as humble learners, as really so much of our faith in this country is atrophied. I pray that you would help us to be strengthened as we see the gospel go forward to the nations that it's bearing fruit all over the world and growing. I pray that you would continue to encourage us and build us up in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're gonna.